I got high last night on LSD. My mind was beautiful and I was free. Warts love my nipples because they are pink. Vomit on me, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you're listening to Rock and Door Roll. I'm BJ, and joining me today, we finally figured out how to, to make this happen. We've been talking about this. Gee, I wonder when the first time I emailed you was, but it was a while ago that we've been trying to put this together. But I have a guest on today named Bob Purse. Hey, Bob. Hi. And I found your blog. I don't even remember how I found it. I'm just a huge uh, music collector, and you know, I do a lot of rabbit hole rabbit holing on the internet and things like that and at some point I happen upon your blog which um, is called The Wonderful and the Obscure right and I guess you have a big interesting music collection and so you share a lot of your stuff on there and one thing that you're into is these things called song poems which you know my introduction to song poems was that documentary off the charts in 2003 Yeah. and then I bought the um I bought a compilation on Bar None Records, the the big brush in the wood one. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. yeah the, the best the best of the other co- compilations, basically. Yeah. I think it's called the American Song Poem Anthology. And, uh, right. It, it features songs from several other compilations that had come out in the 90s and early 2000s. Right. And that's that's basically how about as deep as I went with song poems. This is a rabbit hole that I've never had the courage <laughs> to try to go down. Uh, I wouldn't even know where to start or how to even try to figure out how to find how to you know find stuff. But then you find a blog like yours, and I guess that helps a little bit. But it's still pretty daunting. <laughs> so I basically just emailed you and asked you if you would pick, you know, the your favorite song poems or the best examples of song poems, and then, uh, like I said, I could just exploit your expertise <laughs> instead of having to try to figure it out myself. Uh, but I, I've always wanted to do an episode. I, like with my podcast, like I said, I'm a I'm a huge music collector, but I don't really dig too deep into, you know, the real oddities and weird stuff like song poem kind of things. Um, but I'm interested in it. And with the podcast, I like to cover anything like that that's interesting and collectible and obscure and different. So I I love the opportunity to do an episode like this. So I really appreciate you, um, you know, picking a bunch of songs and agreeing to come on and do this. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. I, I, I'd love to spread the word. And so how did you get into collecting song poems yourself? Okay, so I, I've been a massive collector of all things recorded sound since my early 20s. Um, so I, I, I've estimated that between all the different things I have, I probably have 10,000 different you know, items of recording, I'd probably almost half of them 45s, but I have real, real tapes. I have 78s, I have albums. So I've always been kind of obsessive about collecting music. Um, sometime around 1976, I'm sorry, 1996, uh, Dr. Demento, which is a radio show that I've listened to since I was uh, 15. Right. And have actually had some, some of my own songs played on in recent years. It's now, it's now a, a web-based show. Um, played a song called How Long Are You Staying by Bill Joy and explained that it was a song poem and that there was an album out collecting song poems and explained exactly what song poems were. 
that is a truly, truly horrible record. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's hysterical. Disco, disco, disco. I am going to Mount Kisco. I am going to buy Crisco so I can bake a cake and then disco, disco, disco. <laughs> Disco, disco, disco I am going to Mount Kisco I am going to buy Crisco To bake a cake so I can disco, disco, disco Disco, disco, disco How long are you staying? I mostly eat Morisco so I can disco, disco, disco. <laughs> and how long are you staying is simply one of the lines in the middle of a verse, which I don't know why it's the title of the song. <laughs> um, so as I often do, I wrote down the address that he gave to, to get, the, um, to get the, the album and then promptly forgot about it for about two years. And then I wrote to the company and the album was actually out of print, but they had moved into the CD world and had put out a CD collecting almost everything that was on the first album, plus about 12 other songs. And that was called The Makers of Smooth Music, and I ordered that immediately. And um, was very intrigued by about seven or eight of the, let's say, 25 or 28 songs on the album. And um, pretty quickly got in touch. No, the first thing I did was get a sense of which, which labels and which artists there were, and there, there is a legendary record store near where I work on the south side of Chicago called Beverly Records, and I was in the habit of running down there on my lunch breaks anyway. So I went in there one day and started looking for the, the artists on 45s that I had just learned were did song poems and found, I think, about a dozen. And then I got in touch with the fellow that was behind the, um, the song poem albums and the song poem database, which is a website that's out there. And his name is Phil Milstein. And we began a email conversation. And when I, I, I then proceeded to go to other stores that I knew of and found some other song poems. And we began exchanging tapes. He had, he had pre-made collections of things that he thought were maybe second tier, not good enough for CD release, but really good. And he would send me one of those and I would send him a cassette of everything I had found. Wow. So, so not only was I finding a few dozen song poem records, but he would send me a cassette with probably 30 songs on it. So my, my, my listening, my, my, my world of song poems was expanding much more than any, than most people that were just, just finding them on the CDs. Right. Uh, I, I began looking around in online auction and sales site. At one point, I think I bought 30, Singles on the MSR label, which is a favorite of the uh, people that put the CDs together, uh, for three bucks a piece, and got those through the mail. You know, this we're going back almost 25 years, right. um, probably 22, 23 years, and I'm I'm forgetting some of the details. But I began amassing quite a collection, both through trading and through finding finding these records. I will say that if people go out and get the CDs, which are very collectible now. My and this is in advance of playing some of the stuff we're going to play. My taste in song poems don't necessarily overlap all that well with the folks that tend to put these CDs out. They run much more heavily towards a label that I just mentioned called MSR. And that, that's a label that has put out very little that I find of interest. So I, I'm I'm not 
I'm not with if there is a mainstream in song poem collectors, I'm not necessarily that in that mainstream, whatever that is. Even if there's only 20 of us out there, I'm I'm on a different page than the other 19. And yeah, yeah I, you uh you got into it in the 90s, which was lucky. I mean, it was the same with me. I started collecting vinyl in the 90s and you know, I feel very lucky that I did because everything mm-hmm. was so cheap then sure, and sure. now the prices have just skyrocketed <laughs> on everything. So the 90s was a golden age for getting it to collect the music for sure. Yeah. Now, now eBay has made things easier in a certain sense. Right. And also because I, because what I tend to want to collect within the song poem world is not generally what the audience for song poems wants to collect. Right. So I often get the only bid in or, or one of only two or three bids in and I, I do pretty well, but it's definitely, as you say, things were cheap back in the nineties and, uh, typical would have been getting, you know, um, a handful of records for three or four bucks each and now that's really the exception anything i get is probably upwards of six or seven bucks maybe even going up into the you know 14 or 15 there are few records i would pay in, in this field that i would pay more than that for mm-hmm. doesn't pendulette supposedly have <clears throat> the biggest collection i remember he bought that- somebody else's collection right that's correct that's my understanding there was somebody that, and, and i think it's somebody that i know um who was at, at some point asked me how much I would offer him for his entire collection of thousands and thousands of them. And I said, I don't have that sort of money. Yeah. And then I, I did read after that, that Penn Jillette had bought an enormous collection. Yeah. I used to listen to his radio show as a podcast, probably, you know, this is going back 13 or 14 years. I remember one day he said that he had, he had somebody digitize his whole collection and he said, if you sent in your email, he would send you a link and he was going to share his collection. Wow. And I immediately sent my email. And then like the next day on his show, he said, well, somebody told me that was probably not a good idea. And he changed his mind. Oh, so man. that was really disappointing. Oh, <laughs> but, I didn't not hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I guess yeah. I guess we should explain what song poems are for people yes. who aren't listening, which is just the idea that. Would would this have been from like magazine and newspaper ads or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I, I can give the background if you want. Yeah, sure. I, and again, I, I want I want to acknowledge that I had I had a lot of email conversations with Phil Milstein, who was really the absolute expert in this. He did a lot of interviews for a book that he was going to try to write. It, at some point, he lost interest about fifteen years ago. A lot of what I know is from picking his brain and from what I've learned kind of through osmosis collecting ever since then. Mm-hmm. But the idea behind song poems goes back actually before they were recorded song poems. And the idea is to let somebody think that if they write you their lyrics, they send you their lyrics, that you are going to be able to make them into a hit song and, <laughs> and they're going to get rich and famous. <laughs> it started with sheet music. I, my understanding is it would have been at least the 1920s. Um, and there's scams like this in, in publishing, too, where you write your book and you pay them for 40 copies and that's all you ever get. But they told you that they were going to make make you into a, a big literary star. Right. There's uh, there's various there's various scams of the sort. There's a poetry one, too, that I'm aware of. So it started with sheet music and, you know, you would get 50 copies of your sheet music or whatever. And then it would go, it wouldn't go anywhere else. By the by the 40s, there were 78 companies. That's the only speed there was at the time. Uh, there were a handful of companies that would take your lyrics and set them to music and have it recorded. And for the most part, the, the, the companies in the 40s and 50s who were doing this were actually taking the music fairly seriously. The records are, are fairly indistinguishable 
as sounds from the records that were coming out in those days from legitimate labels. But often the lyrics give them away and often the performances by the singers give them away. (laughs) Generally speaking, the records from the 40s and 50s actually sound like they were meant to be legitimate records, but they weren't. There's a, there's a quote at the end of the song poem movie that you referenced that says that they're estimated to be some tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of song poem records made. And to anyone's knowledge, none of them has ever become a hit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and, and that's because there's no effort made to make them a hit. There, that, was never, that was never the point. One, one of the labels, I have, some, I have some paperwork that Phil sent me on one of the labels, you know, and you could get... You could get 50 copies of your record for some hundreds of dollars. And if you wanted it to have a full orchestra, it was more. And if you wanted to have the lead sheets for somebody else to perform your song, that was more. They're just trying to get money out of people. And, and I'm sure there are people that that, 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 was the, that was the be all and end all for them. They simply wanted to have their songs, their, their lyrics set to music. But there were plenty of people who thought, I'm, I'm going to be a hit songwriter. Right. Um, and I should get into the reason it's called song poems. Uh, these The ads for these things often appeared in the back of tabloids, National Enquirer, things like that. And the companies, the theory at least, as I understand it, is the companies thought so low of the customers that they were trying to reach that they didn't know if they would understand the word lyrics. <laughs> so they asked for their poems to be made into songs or song poems. Right. <laughs> so once you get into the 60s, you find a lot of little labels cropping up making very slapdash recordings and standing in the middle of all that was a guy who was hired by a label called film city named named rod keith who performed under the name rod rogers at that time and uh film city owned a chamberlain which is an instrument that's virtually identical to the mellotron that's a whole different story but they're essentially the same instrument people might be more familiar with the mellotron and it is the really kind of the first it's akin to a midi system in that it when you pressed an A asking it for a flute, it would play a it would actually play recording tape across a head playing an A on a flute. Uh, it also had drum um, drum beats and it there's demonstrations on it online. It, it's really interesting to look for the Mellotron slash Chamberlain because it it's it's the, the the track that people are the most familiar with is probably Strawberry Fields Forever. The opening flutes on that are a Mellotron. Um, the strings on Cashmere by Led Zeppelin are a Mellotron. I'm not sure the Mellotron slash Chamberlain was ever intended to be the entire backing for a record. Yeah. And this is what Rod Keith did at Film City, was that he would program it to play an entire backing track. It's, it gets very interesting when he uses a beat, which I've told, I'm told is called the Go-Go Beat, which... <laughs> For, for whatever reason, probably because of the length of tape they had to use, because this would literally play a piece of tape with a with a um, weight on it, and it would drag it across a head. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's how it would work, if I understand correctly. I've probably got that a little bit wrong, but but somebody I'm sure will correct me. But anyway, the go-go beat has a turnaround every five measures. The, the drummer does, does a little fill every five measures, which most songs aren't in 5-4. Right. Most songs don't have a five-bar style. Right. And when, when one of the songs later on, you'll be able to hear the Mellotron with the go-go beat getting completely separate from the rest of the the rest of the program. Yeah, I did notice that the yeah, yeah the so, beat was completely off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll talk more about that when we come to it. So he he was by all 
but by everyone's report, a, a musical genius right. and also had a very, very uh, malleable and very warm vo voice and is very much considered the, the genius of the song poem world. And he would, if he cared to make really great records and make something special out of them. He, he flipped over to a label called Preview in the late in the in the mid 60s and then went over to the aforementioned MSR near the end of his life. And he died in 1974. The 70s song poems, we get more and more into chintzy, cheap keyboards at that point um, with really bad string sections and just half-assed attempts to, to, to make a record. The, the label Tin Pan Alley, which we'll be talking about too, I, I think I have some Tin Pan Alley stuff on there. They went from having full orchestras and doo-wop groups in the 50s to having minimalist like three-piece bands with a guy who sounds like he's just seeing the words for the first time right. and, and then in the 70s it devolves even further than that i'm really not into what's happened since then uh, obviously they moved into the cd world in, in in the 1990s uh there's a label called columbine which which uh the the general song poem fandom likes a lot too i'm also not a huge fan of them mostly because i'm not a huge fan of 80s and 90s music and that's and that's what they're, what they're aping there. Although there is a singer on on Columbine named Kay Weaver, also sometimes credited as Kay Carpenter, who is astonishingly bad. <laughs> <laughs> and she she actually has a career as a uh, feminist slash lesbian singer that's that's well known in certain circles, apart from her song poem work. But I I just think she's awful. Yeah, as a as a song poem collector, the two things you're probably looking for are the two ends of the spectrum, right? The really, the actually good ones, and then the really bad ones. And it's yeah, the I stuff should... in the middle that's probably like, eh. <laughs> right? I should say, eighty percent of this stuff is just dull as dishwater. Right. <laughs> Seventy to eighty percent of it is just not worth playing a second time. Um, but I, I have hundreds of these, so I have plenty to to go around. And as I say, I've been lucky enough to 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 share with other people. There's a guy, a friend of mine in New York named Michael, who sent me four CDs worth of his collection at one point. So I, I've i had a lot of opportunity to get a whole lot of song poems, both from my own collection and from others. And that, that leaves me with enough stuff to say, to, to find enough stuff to enjoy while listening to the stuff that's really not very enjoyable. One uh, question, I, as I was listening to some of the songs you sent, one question I had was, so the people would send their lyrics in probably with a check, right? But did they get to give any kind of direction or was it just, did it, was it only the lyrics they sent or did they get to request any kind of a genre or instrumentation or anything? The paperwork I've seen from certain labels does have, you know, do you want a male singer? Do you want a female singer? Do you want a band? Do you want, you know, acoustic? Do you want this? Do you want that? Mm -hmm. to, to one degree or another. So there, I don't know if that's true for all of them. Um, there are certain labels that were so small or so corrupt, let's say, that they were clearly not interested in trying to do anything besides get the customer's money. I'll mention briefly a, custom, a, a company in Boston named Hallmark, H-A-L-M-A-R-K on most labels, but with two L's on some, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that literally used the same backing tracks over and over and over again. Mm. Some of them actually backing tracks for instrumental versions of recent hits, <laughs> almost like setting new lyrics to a karaoke track. Right. They had maybe 20 backing tracks and used them each a dozen times. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and then there, a really small label, which we're going to get to one song on this label called Noval, N-O-V-A-L, seems to have just basically had a small combo that featured guitar, drums, vibraphone, and uh, I guess maybe piano, I'm forgetting. But but all of their records sound roughly the same. The only thing that distinguishes them usually is the, is the lyrics, and they're just they're dreadful. They're going to, they're going to put you to sleep. So I I think there are labels that did exactly what you said. And I think there were other labels that were either unable to, or, or unwilling to really try to meet the customer's needs. Yeah. And some of them were just churning these out where they probably spent as little time as possible on it and just moved on to the next one. Right. Then just uh, did it in one take. Oh, I think there's yeah, there's speculation that some of the albums that the larger companies put out may have all been recorded in one afternoon. Right. <laughs> and there's there's definitely cases, and you you can see this in the song poem documentary. Uh, Gene Marshall, one of my favorite singers, um, they they gave some old lyrics from from previous song poems to him and the small combo to do, and he's clearly just reading them. You know, he's he's a very professional. He's great at it, but he's clearly seeing them for the very first time. Uh, and actually laughs at one of the lyrics, you know, not being not having had the chance to to read ahead. And I have no doubt that that's what it was like when he was actually making these records in the 60s and 70s, right. that, that that he was walking in and, and given a stack of what he has always called demos. He, he doesn't um, he doesn't refer to them as song poems and reading them off the top because that that's that's one of the things that, that he's known for. He's one of those guys that's in countless choruses on disney movies and albums you know like the like like the old albums that used to come out with with um you know the johnny mann singers the anita care singers from the 60s he's he's on a lot of those sort of things um but then some of the songs you sent actually have a good structure where you know they they pass as a real song <laughs> yeah so. yeah i i i I would argue that I because I, I put them I put them in order and I would or I would argue that um, most of the top eight or ten that I sent you are actually interesting records with real quality to them that, that is worth hearing as opposed to liking them because they're you know a car crash or something ridiculous. Yeah, with your list, you you said you rank they're actually ranked here. Do you do you want to yeah. start maybe with the with the bottom and and we can yeah, end with the, your favorite. At the bottom, it was Go Away, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this is on the Fable label, which is a favorite of mine, but they weren't just a song poem label. And it's always a little bit difficult to figure out which was which of the records on Fable were actually song poems and which were cons- were, were intended to be uh, for the actual market. Okay. Um, but this one is from the late 50s, at which point they had pretty much gone whole hog into the, into the um, song poem world. Fable actually actually turned into film city at some point in about 1962. Uh, the film city is the one I mentioned before that had the, the, the Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is go away by little Donnie Lane. I just, I just think this is a great little country record. There's nothing, there's nothing about this one that screams song poem or incompetence or anything like that. It's just right. <laughs> like a solid little country record. Yeah. Yeah. For the kind of song it is, it's really well done. Uh, the arrangement and the melody and everything, and I. But I was wondering. So, you know, this goes to my question of if the the people who sent their lyrics in were making requests because it's. So you don't know for sure if this is a song poem or not. But I'm I'm fairly certain it is. Um, okay. I, I I think 
and I'd have to go back and look at the actual record, but there are some clues actually on the records that, that for example, if if on a Fable record or even some of the other hybrid labels, there are multiple songwriters, there's virtually no chance that that's a song poem unless the multiple songwriters include people who I know were actually members of the label. Um, for example, I mentioned Hallmark before. Ted Rosen, who owned Hallmark, I think, I think I'm remembering this right, but it, it would go for any of the labels would sometimes stick his name on as a co-writer. <laughs> that, that, that's true for several labels. So if, if the owner of Fable, whose name is escaping me at the moment, if his name is on there as a co-writer, that doesn't really tell me anything. But a lot of, a lot of Fable records either have two or three writers on them, which almost exclusively leaves it out of being a song poem, or is actually performed by the person who wrote the song, which also kind of means that it's not a song poem. Right. So, uh, so, so my... But, so my question yeah. is, like, the person who sent this in, did they ask for yodeling, or was that a creative <laughs> choice? <laughs> hard, hard, hard to say. Yeah, <laughs> label is not one of those labels that I know a whole lot about. Right. Uh, it is a revered label. I I used to post to WFMU's blog, which was an, a massive undertaking that used to exist until about five years ago, and I did two posts with my Fable label finds that most of which were not song poems. And got great response to that. Kept having people asking me to to, to do more, and I, I don't know what is it, whether it's a result of that or something else. But Fable Records have have shot up in value on eBay since then. So I may have shot myself in the foot by doing that because <laughs> I love the Fable label. Yeah, but Go Away is a, you know, if if I was the person who sent these lyrics in, I would be happy to receive yeah. something of this quality back for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, all right, let's hear it. Well, all my life I've been in love with you, and now you're gone, and I'm so blue and darling, I don't know just what I'm gonna do. Well, even though you're leaving, baby, don't think I'll be grieving, baby. Someday I'll find someone passes through. Why don't you go? Okay, so the next one is Stay Where You Are by Norman Burns. Oh, and yeah, so this is uh, the same guy as, spoiler alert, as your number one 
song, right? It is. Yeah. Norm Burns may be my favorite song poem singer ever. He he worked for exclusively for the Sterling label, uh, I think also out of Boston, somewhere on the East Coast. And he j- just had a really great delivery. I, I can't quite put into words what I love about him so much. And I also like the, the Sterling sound has this really crisp sound with, with – um, and it's actually this is not true of the of the song you just referenced, which is number one. But it's very crisp production, often with a kind of a a very ringing tinny sort of guitar on them, put together very well. Um, Norm also died in 1974, just like Rod Keith did, and I believe they were both 37. And the Sterling label went to hell after that. They hired people that had very little singing talent, and the records that were made after Norm died are not half as interesting as the ones that he made under his. They made with with him. Um, Stay Where You Are is one of my, my younger daughter's uh, favorites. She, she says it's, it's she thinks it's incredibly mean. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think the lyrics are hysterical. They're, they're so they're so quick and to the point And 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 uh, I don't know. I don't know what the word for it is, but <laughs> it's it's quite quite the put down and dismissal, don't you think? Yeah, well, my impression of actually both of the Norm Burns songs is that they're from a female perspective and were meant to be sung by a woman. That's just my take on it <laughs> from what yeah, the I lyrics can, are saying. I can see that. Yeah. I can see but, uh, you know, there's but no I, way I, to know, I guess, who I wrote I love who. his delivery. I love the tone of his voice. Yeah. I love that, that ringing guitar and, and the, the crisp production. There's just there's something about Sterling Records from the 60s and early 70s that that really resonates with me and a lot of that is norm but that's not the only thing stay where you are stay where you are stay where you are stay where you are because i don't need your love anymore go where you were go where you were go Because I don't need your lonely arms no more Don't look at me, don't look at me, don't look at me Don't look at me, cause when I see your face Here comes down my cheek Your love for me was only a fake Just to get all that you need You walk out on me and leave me to cry And now I'm just a lonely guy Don't come near me, don't come near me, don't come near me, don't come near me, for I don't need your warm embrace anymore. Because I don't need your love anymore Stay where you are Stay where you are Stay where you are Stay where you are Because I don't need your love anymore Stay where you are Stay where you are Okay, so the next song on your list is She's Different, right? <laughs> <laughs> I... I discovered the existence of one Roger Smith through a friend of mine who sent me 
a couple of songs. I don't think she's different was one of them. And then I also found an insane record called uh, my white rose, my white rose gal. <laughs> and I have forever since been looking for Roger Smith records. There don't seem to be a whole lot of them. And I do search for them. And I end up with somebody that was on Warner brothers in the early sixties, who I think was an actor singer. And I, I don't know who that was, but it's not the same guy. This guy is just over the top. His his vocal mannerisms make me laugh out loud on virtually every record I've heard by him. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's 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 not a whole lot about the lyrics here that that make it stand stand out, but he's so ridiculous and so into it that I I just I just love it. I I, I think I probably could have plugged two or three different Roger Smith records into that slot. She's different. It's probably my favorite. What Roger Smith makes me laugh. Yeah, I do, I do like the hook on the song, and it is. I mean, the way he says she's different, and that's the way she's gonna stay. That is funny. <laughs> you know, it is. It does make and me I, laugh. Is, is this the one at the end where he like like does the last note and drops down slowly to an octave below? <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm not sure because they all kind of run together in my head. Right.
Okay, so the next song, Dollars for Satan. <laughs> now this it, it seems like the song title should have been No Dollars for Satan because the right. dropping the no from it gives the wrong impression uh, <laughs> as yeah, a song title, but Okay, so there was a woman in Kansas in the in the 50s and 60s and 70s. I, I don't know how long she was in the business, but her name was Edith Hopkins, and she knew what she was doing. Uh, I've actually had I've actually had um, uh, email correspondence with one of her daughters after I posted some of her stuff. She wrote and re- and and had recorded songs that she that she wanted to direct, you know, as po- potential hits, and she also used the song poem companies. So this is a bit of a hybrid in that it wasn't there. The music was very likely written by the same person who wrote the words and the entire song was probably given to the label, but the label was absolutely a song poem label. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that, that happens sometimes somebody would give an entire finished song and say, please record this. Okay. Uh, but I have other records that Edith Hopkins wrote on labels that were not strictly speaking song poem labels. Uh, one of which we're going to get to in a, in a little bit. Um, where the, you know where it was it was intended to be for the for the actual market this one is not one of those uh this this was definitely on a song poem label whether she thought that might help her get songs into the market or not by going through these these third parties i really don't know for my money she's the best song poet ever she she wrote a, a higher percentage of songs that i just simply love by far than any other writer that i've come across on multiple records dollars for satan reminds me a bit of what Paul Anka might do if he was any good. (laughs) (laughs) That's a singer I I just simply can't stand. But this reminds me of a Paul Paul Anka record. She's basically complaining about how people give all their money to things that are not, uh, that are worldly and not, not enough money to the, to religion, not Mm -hmm. the church. And I just think it's catchy as hell to, to be inappropriate about a song that's about religion. (laughs) The guy, Joel Pitt, I think it may be the only record I have that has his name on it. Maybe there's one other one. He really sells it. It's got that, that uh, it's got a song that's not un- unsimilar to the Sterling sound with that crisp production. And, a, you know, it, it's just, and it's got a sound, you know, I just mentioned that I don't like Paul Anka, but it's got, it, it's got that whole sort of uh, Gene Pitney sort of early 60s thing. And that's a singer I do love. I'm not on the same page with the lyrics of this song, but I think it sells it really well. And I think, it, I think it's a good record. Good time. Satan gets dollars, the Lord gets a dime. Then cost so much more than we can afford. A dollar for Satan, a ten cent for the Lord. Empty seats in church Sunday morning. Empty hearts on Sunday morning. Empty seats in church Sunday morning. Oh, that's what the devil wants, sure as you're born. No time for reading the word of the Lord. Bibles get dusty because they're ignored. Oh, with worldly pleasures, the devil has scored. A dollar for Satan, ten cents for the Lord. Empty seats in church Sunday morning. Empty hearts on Sunday morning. Empty seats in church Sunday morning. Oh, that's what the devil wants, sure as you're born. Walk with the master and do it today. Our sword, no dollars for Satan, they're all for the Lord. Empty seats in church Sunday morning, 
fresh you're born. About 60 or 70 miles from here is an enormous record store of the sort that you're never going to see anything else like. It's called Toad Hall. And it's yeah, I've in, been there. <laughs> okay, Rockford. so we know that it's in an old storefront and that not only the storefront, but the basement and the apartment upstairs are all shoved full of records. Mm-hmm. That literally what used to be closets are now closets full of records. And that if you want to look at the 45s, they have to unlock and let you into a building across the street. Shortly after I got into song poems, I made a pilgrimage out there to see what they had and came away with with quite a few. When I picked up the record called Hydrogen, Nitrogen, Potassium by Jim Hall and the Radio Pals, (laughs) (laughs) I had a list of all the known song poem labels. And the the record, the the label that that one was on was not on the list. But they had a turntable there where you could listen to stuff. And I I tried it out. Some Number one, I'm not going to bypass buying a record called Hydrogen, Nitrogen, Potassium. (laughs) And number two, this sounds like a song poem. And and that was later confirmed to me by by Phil Milstein. Yeah, I'm just Hydrogen, Nitrogen, Potassium to her. But by the end, the, the genders have switched around and the lyrics make very little sense. Listen carefully to the lyrics because the gender of the person that he's singing about and to seems to switch. So flash forward a bunch of years, and I find a record of the same song from an early 50s song poem label done in supper club style with a verse that's not on this version about dating a chemist. (laughs) That's what the song is about. Okay. (laughs) And that that one is done in a very sedate supper club sort of very very adult and and mannered sort of way. What I think is funny is that this this version has to have come out later because the other version predates the rock era, and that means that 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 the, the writer of this song commissioned that version right. and either, either didn't like it or decided <laughs> that she wants to, to she or she wanted to do something different and got this version. <laughs> My guess would have been that it would have gone the other way around, that that maybe the person would have heard this version and said, no, I'm going to try a different label. But there's no way that happened because the other record is from about 1953. This this has a beat that won't stop. I, I, I've, never, I've never actually tried this out, but I suspect that it gets faster and faster as it goes along. I like the fact that it starts right in the middle of a musical phrase. Like the, it, there's not like a downbeat. It's they're already playing when the record starts. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the lyrics are, are, are inscrutable. But that saying they're dating a chemist makes it make more sense, I guess, or make sure. adds an element of cleverness to it. Or, you know, yeah. as a record collector myself, as you're telling these stories, I I could just imagine, like I can imagine how you felt discovering the first record, and then then you discover another record with the same title. I can only imagine how excited you were when you came across that. Yeah, I, I think I got that on eBay. I'm like, what is this going to be? Yeah. <laughs> I know that label, the name of which I'm forgetting, but I'm like, this is a label that existed around 1950, and there's no way the other version is from 1950. Yeah. I'm just hydrogen, nitrogen, potassium to her. Ah, 
Yes, I know he'll be And an eye in my direction And I'm filled with affection There is need of protection, I'll admit But I have an institution That to such a high position He will never, ever, ever fall for me I'm just hydrogen, nitrogen, potassium to her. Love is like a diamond. This is one that I, you know, this is a really quality song. So is this a Rod Rod Rogers or Rod Keith? Is this him performing this? Yeah, his name was Rod Keith Escalin. When he worked for Film City, he he went under Rod Rogers. Mm-hmm. My guess, and this is speculation, but it makes a lot of sense, is that when he changed labels, he may have been under contract with one name and switched names. So he went to Rod Keith. And then when he went to MSR, I think he reverted to Rod Rogers, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so, but the other thing about the other thing about the preview label, which is one of my favorite labels, and it's where Gene Gene Marshall did did a lot of his work, and Rod Keith did a lot of his work, is that every now and then, particularly for Rod Keith, for some reason, they would put his records out under a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. Um, he he appeared on it on it as at least five or six different singers, um, and sometimes to make things more confusing, a, a name he might appear under, for example, Alan Poe is one of them, but he's not the singer on every Alan Poe record. <laughs> so that that gets very very confusing. Yeah, uh, Milford Perkins. Uh, I don't believe he's always the, the the singer on Milford Perkins records either. If I'm, if I'm <laughs> right. um, but yeah, this. This is what you were alluding to. This is just a great, solid record. There's some yeah. killer thing on this record. The, the lyrics are excellent. The melody is indelible, and his singing is incomparable. This this is just a really great record. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a. It sounds like a real song. <laughs> yeah, Which... I could absolutely, I could actually absolutely see this coming across on on a, um, you know, a Sirius XM deep cut sort of '60s channel. Yeah. And and not knowing what it was, but having no doubt that it was, you know, a legitimate release. And so Rod Rogers 
you know, he wrote this, right? He so he or Rod he, Keith, he took Rod Keith would have most likely been the person that wrote the music for the person's yeah. lyrics. Yes. Yeah. So you know, if you're a talented guy and you and you have lyrics that have a a decent structure, yeah, you can make that into a good song. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So the next one, somebody <laughs> fiddle I birding. This is a very entertaining one. This is a hilarious one. This is the kind of this is the kind of thing you get with song poems where somebody writes something just really insane. <laughs> so, um, so at that same first trip to Toad Hall after I discovered song poems, I came across at least a dozen records on a label called Tin Pan Alley, which was not on Phil's list but they were all clearly song poems. They had all the hallmarks of them and I bought all of them. And then I came back and and wrote him an email. I said, tell me this is a song poem label. And he said, yeah, but you're the first one to find any records on it. Wow. And since then, the the website that I'm referring to that captures all of these, all of these documentation of labels was mothballed around 2004 when Phil lost interest. Uh But the time that happened, which is probably about uh, 15 years after I found the Tin Pan Alley records, it became one of the most populated pages on the on the entire site, and it's it's probably I have probably the most records on preview and second most on MSR, or maybe that's reversed. Um, but the third most are probably on Tin Pan Alley, and I would have to say it's my favorite label. They went through a lot of different changes, but one of the things that that as soon as they left behind the attempt to be somewhat of a legitimate label, which was in the mid fifties, they did some doo wop stuff. But by the late fifties, they were putting out stuff like we're about to hear. And, and that never stopped their, their, their records get progressively more ridiculous as the, as the decades go on. <laughs> um, yeah. The first line of somebody fiddle I'm burning is I believe in Roman yeah. Nero. He has always been my hero. Yeah. That's hilarious. That is, that is a great, <laughs> That is a fantastic, ridiculous couplet. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> and I have subsequently heard several other Johnny Williams records, and I'm not convinced that the guy could sing, but boy, does he have a presentation. <laughs> he, he just, there, there's one that, that I think I may have actually posted after I sent you this link called Shinkarinky, which is a, which is a, uh, about a 90 second record about a little, about a two year old that is just adorable. And it's also Johnny Williams. Um, I would encourage you to to seek that out because it's it's fantastic. It's accompanied basically by by drums and guitar. Johnny Williams song record I'm very excited because just like Roger Smith he makes me laugh and I also just enjoy his presentation and this is I think this is also like a 90 second record if I remember correctly Mm -hmm. it's really this is just a funny record yeah this is this is a clever funny record yeah I believe in Roman Nero he has 
has always been my hero. Stroke a string, let me swing. Somebody fiddle, I'm burning. Cutting capers, wheeling, reeling. Baby's got that savage feeling. Swing your hips, pout your lips. Somebody fiddle, I'm burning. Coax that sax and drop that drum. Don't forget to fiddle. If you can't do that by gum, hidey high and a bumpy diddle. Roll your eyes and keep on swaying while the music goes on swaying. Swing your hips, pop your lips. Somebody fiddle, I'm burning. Coax that sax and drop that drum. Don't forget to fiddle. If you can't do that by gum, hidey high and a bump. Roll your eyes and keep on swaying While the music goes on playing Swing your hips, pout your lips Somebody fiddle, I'm burning So the next song, Tom Dooley, Last Will and Testament it's, I just listened to a podcast about the Tom Dooley story last week uh-huh. <laughs> So, And it's, okay. you know, it's interesting Basically, the the woman that he was that he was uh, convicted of murdering was probably murdered by his ex girlfriend <laughs> or something like that. Oh, okay. But uh, and his name was actually Tom Dula D U L A. But that that I knew. Yeah. Yeah. That of the Dooley evolved just from the the pronunciation with the southern accent or something like that. But yeah. um, yeah. So okay, so Norwich. This this is a little road trip here. Norwich Mayhams. That was the man's real name. Norwich Mayhams was a guy who wanted to get things done. He spent his entire life on the fringes of the music industry and actually had some success. In the 30s, he led a group that made, um, alternately made religious records and double entendre records, um, the Norwich Mayhems and the Blue Chips. And then he, con- he continued to write songs. For whatever reason, he was really, really fascinated with college life, and a few other things that are escaping me at the moment, but his songs are full of references to a half a dozen different subjects. In his early records, he, he founded his own label. He founded a label called Coed, again, a college reference. Uh, and when another label called Coed sued him, he changed it to Sorority Fraternity Records. <laughs> <laughs> and then at some point, he, he was recording his own vocals to things. And at some point, he discovered the song poem world and started using them for his records, um, probably in the early 60s. And again, like like Edith Hopkins, I, I believe consistently that, that Norwich Mayhems wrote the words and music to the songs that he commissioned and would stick the name Norris the Troubadour or Seaboard Coastliners on all of his records, regardless of who was actually singing. <laughs> um, in 1976, he collected all of his 60s and 70s 45s onto our centennial album, which was a two, I believe, a two record set of just about everything he commissioned from all the different song poem companies, entirely um, credited to Norris the Troubadour, Seaboard Coastliners, despite the fact that it features uh, rock combos and Sammy Marshall, who's another singer that was that crops up all over song poems and Rod Keith and several others. So in this case, Tom Dooley, Last Will and Testament, this is a Rod Keith production. This is definitely out of his film City Days. The entire accompaniment on this record is a Chamberlain. Mm -hmm. Uh, And on this particular record, Rod Keith got a truly 
mesmerizing sound. It's echoey. It's it's um, foreboding. There's a real otherworldly sound about this record. And uh, I, I think a very cool melody and some interesting words, even if, to be honest with you, I have no idea what he's talking about. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it's basically Tom Dooley reflecting on his life and saying that he deserves to die, but I don't really hear any last will. <laughs> yeah. That, that that's not actually part of what I hear in the lyrics here. Right. I do hear, I hear the testimony. Um, by the way, subsequent, fairly recently, I have I have found a copy of the forty five. That yeah. I, as I as I said, this came out on an album that was a um, compilation of all of his forty fives, and. On the 45, this record is called Tom Dooley Testament. Okay. (laughs) But so then on the record, he added the last will. Yeah, that actually makes more sense. But in the lyrics, it does say last will and testament. (laughs) (laughs) So... I happen to be the hangman. Tom Dooley paid the price that day I slipped the noose around his neck And just before we sprang the trap I asked him what he had to say Oh, I know, no, I'm gonna die But there's something that I wanna say Yes, I know, I know I'm gonna die
And so the next one, <laughs> my hamburger baby. I love the, I love the incredibly um, literal lyrics. He just says, "I pulled up to the building, got out, and went in." <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> the, the first time my my friend Stu heard that, that's exactly what he said. Was, <laughs> he he also commented that at some point he says, "Hold me tenderly, oh, kiss me tenderly with your great big smile." And if you take out the the modifier, he just said, "Kiss me with your smile." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is from Hallmark, the aforementioned Hallmark, and the backing track you'll hear here, I have at least 10 records with this backing track on. <laughs> uh, this is by far the best use of it. This borders on one of those car crash sort of things. Yeah. Uh, the, this was the lead track on the first cassette that Phil sent me, and I knew nothing about Hallmark records. And I, when I wrote to him, I said, what universe, you know, uh, produced my hamburger baby because if you're just hearing that without ever hearing something else on hallmark you're going to say what is this this doesn't even seem to, this this doesn't even sound like music <laughs> it, it, not any music that i've ever heard before this is just this is, this is just weird I, i'm not expressing this well but it's just disorienting and, and the your listeners when you get to this song please keep in mind this came out about 1975 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was rolling down the highway when a town came in view. I need a cup of coffee.
Okay, the next song, I'll Be a Fool to Keep Loving You by Ray I, Phillips. I don't remember the label for this one. Um, this one lines up again with, with, with the Roger Smith. I just really enjoy this guy's voice, and I, I'm a big fan of 50s-style music. I, I, I was born in 1960, but my favorite year for, for all different forms of music is probably 1957, 58. And this is right in that wheelhouse. I just think it's a solid record. I also like the fact that there's a moment when it ends when you can actually hear the equipment being shut off and they left that on the record. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I have a lot to say about this, but I, I just think this is a solid record with a with an appropriate ridiculous vocal. I'd be a fool to keep on loving you Your love is fickle through and through Put my trust in you, and you broke my heart in two. I'd be a fool to keep on loving you. You made my life lonely and blue. Well, I'm telling you now, I'm through with you. I'm gonna find somebody. got up next i spent my last three dollars for an irish sweepstake ticket <laughs> yes okay so i'm i said i said that um norm burns is my favorite song poem singer uh kara stewart is easily my favorite female song poem singer she worked with a guy named lee hudson uh my understanding from again from phil milstein is that despite trying to find out he was never able to find out anything about these two they worked out of California. They seemed to have started around the, around 1960 and, so, and sold off their company around 1970. Lee Hudson had a talent for making multi-tracked sort of recordings and often often used Kara Stewart's voice over and over again. They were, they, they've been compared to the song poem worlds, Les Paul and Mary Ford. And this one in particular features features an instrumental break in which there is some ridiculously close mic close mic pizzicato strings in three-part harmony which i just love it, mm-hmm. it, i can't think of another record where i've heard something like that and then and then violin playing with bow in between the the plucking i didn't know what the irish sweepstake was i had to look that up um and i don't remember what i found out but it, 
that would have been lost on me at the time that I that I got this record. The lyrics here are fairly ridiculous. Yeah. I I think the music is ethereal and wonderful, and Kara Stewart's voice carries me away. I guess that's all I have to have to say about that. We have another Kara Stewart record coming up a little later. Well, I'm sure sometimes they just had fun when they were making these records, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, instead yeah. Instead of just churning it out as a jot, as you know, punching the clock, sometimes they probably got into it, you know, and and had some fun putting this together. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that I've heard interviews with people where that's said of, of of Rod Keith, for example. Mm-hmm. Oh, the one other thing I could say about Lee Hudson's records is he didn't own a label. His records with Kara Stewart and his other stable of singers show up on dozens of tiny little labels, sometimes labels that only have two or three confirmed records. Kara Stewart's records also show up under the name Sue Sailor and at least one other one that I'm, I'm spacing on right now. But if, if you go to the American Song Poem Music website um, and you click on Lee Hudson's name under the labels, you're, you're simply going to get a description of who he was and then links to about 30 labels because his stuff just came out on all sorts of different labels. And then it would have the credit to to Lee Hudson's orchestra. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a, that's an interesting sidelight there.
Okay, the next one is In God We Trust by Jeff Reynolds. Yeah, this is also a Lee Hudson record. Um, okay. Uh, when, I started my, when I started my blog about song poems, this was the first record that I shared. Uh, I, th- I think this is just a ridiculous record, but, but catchy as all hell. It, I, I don't know what this guy's singing about. He, it, it's clearly patriotic. Yeah. It's clearly it's clear that he has some issue he wants to discuss and get out of his system uh, in all of 90 seconds again. Um, but I don't know what he's I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, is, is there a particular battle that this songwriter went through? Is there something that he's giving honor to? I, I can't tell. Um, I will also make a side point that at the very beginning of this record, you're going to you're going to hear three part harmony from female singers. That's Cara Stewart. Yeah, this song and another one you sent, I kind of, I was I was thinking maybe some of these people that were sending these lyrics in were like, I'm going to write the next Star Spangled Banner, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. <laughs> On top of the mountain, the mountain so bold, we send back the kingsmen of Okay, the next song is Nativity by Terry Summers. Okay, so just about as far from what I was just talking about in, in regards to the ridiculous <laughs> schizophrenic ones as yeah. you can get. I think this is as lovely as any record I've ever heard. This is this is a sweet telling of the of the of the Jesus birth story set to set to a uh, appropriate Christmassy backing and sung with great soul by Terry Summers, who, um, again, I'm forgetting her real name, but she was a stalwart at the preview at the preview and MSR labels. I don't have a lot to say about this besides that this is a record that can genuinely make me tear up. I think this is a wonderful, wonderful Christmas record. Yeah, that's an interesting one, too, is the is is because uh, you're saying they, they were trying to convince people that they were going to write a hit song. And so then some people were trying to write Christmas carols, right? <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
Okay, so the next song we're back to to Rod Rogers, uh, Dreams of yeah. Love. Dreams of Love. This is an early record one. He went over to MSR at the end of the at the end of the sixties, and this is probably the first record that I heard when I was collecting song poems where I said, "Man, that is a great record." Yeah, it's a great great song, and that that jump he does into falsetto in the last ten seconds or so is is just otherworldly it's 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 it makes the whole song it just it sells it for me um but yeah this is this is a good lyric this is has excellent performance by everybody in the band um and a and a truly soulful meaningful reading of the lyrics by uh by rod keith slash rod rogers yeah, it's it's kind of magic when something like this comes out of this uh, song poem dynamic. Um, it's pretty pretty incredible when you when the result of this whole process is something like this. It's pretty great. About the past, we'll find some wisdom. Scheme. 
So the next song, I'm a ginseng digger. This was my favorite, and I was I was playing a C. I burned all these on a CD, and I was playing it in the living room last night. And my 13 year old daughter was sitting there too, and we were la- we were laughing our asses off at this song. And then we started writing our own verses <laughs> about a full grown ginseng because <laughs> this song is hilarious. It's uh, the question is the person who wrote these lyrics. Did they mean for it to be funny <laughs> or not? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Oddly enough, I be- unless they came up with some information later, nobody seems to know what label this came from. Um, it, it's on one of the compilations. And the story that's told there is that the person had the record and had it on a tape and the record was destroyed in a fire. And all he had left was the tape and didn't remember what label it was on. It's clearly got the Chamberlain in the background, so it's probably some offshoot of Film City. Mm-hmm. Uh, could, could even be Rod, Rod Keith slash Rod Rogers playing behind this. Uh, Wally Burke is a name that does not, as far as I know, turn up on any other song poems. What a fantastic, ridiculous lyric. <laughs> it's uh, it's I mean, hilarious. He's, he's taking it so seriously. He's so <laughs> proud of being a ginseng digger and finding a giant one and and you know he fell down and and, and came face to face with one yeah <laughs> i dug it and i always will yeah <laughs> yeah what? i hung I got- my i hung my foot in a grapevine it threw me down the hill i fell on a full-grown ginseng oh i dug it and i always, <laughs> I always will <laughs> I, I was just the, just the phrase full-grown ginseng i just find really funny <laughs> How does he know it's full grown? I don't know. I even Googled full grown ginseng to see if that was actually a thing. <laughs> you know? No, I didn't see anything. You know, I didn't, it didn't really show up. That's really funny. Yeah. That's really funny. Um, but I also love the backing here. I I am a big fan of what I like to call um, wind up records, things yeah. that sound they came out of a wind-up toy. And, and the Chamberlain sounds like that. It sounds like that particularly on this record. There's just a lot going on there. And, and the, the cording that whoever's playing it is, is doing is lovely. And the guy singing is perfect for this song. Yeah. It, you know, he's, he's not joking with it. I, I mentioned earlier that, that during the um, making of Off the Charts, the song poem movie, they gave some old lyrics to Gene Marshall and a band to perform. And this is one of the ones they gave him. And he couldn't keep a straight face. <laughs> right he, he laughed at that very line that you're talking about yeah it's, it's hilarious and you know then he encounters hornets and a rattlesnake and yeah. it's a real adventure looking for ginseng yeah it's this is this is a great great record for you know it, it, it's got a bit of that car crash angle to it but it's just put together so solidly and it, it's like if somebody took if some if somebody put as much time into dreams of love which we heard a minute ago but had only to work with these ridiculous lyrics, but but they did it. Yeah, it's very entertaining on multiple levels. <laughs> And briars 
Digging him sing all over the land I look north, south, east and west To find ginseng where I can Oh, I'm a ginseng digger Digging ginseng all over the land I am a ginseng digger With my hoe in my hand Nettles, brush and briar Digging ginseng all over the land I hung my foot in a grapevine It threw me down the hill I fell on a four-pronged ginseng Oh, I dug it and I always will I dug up a four-pronged ginseng And hit a hornet's nest They all went up my trousers And I ran away from all those pests I am a ginseng digger With my hoe in my hand Through nettles, brush, and briar Digging ginseng all over the land A rattlesnake, he struck at me It missed me by the I threw a rock and I killed him And went on digging ginseng right there Lay one evening on the mountain Saw some set in the west My pockets full of ginseng I went home then to have me a rest I am a ginseng digger With my hoe in my hand Through nettles, brush and briar Digging ginseng all over the land Okay, what's the next one? Um, oh, oh rock, rock. <laughs> rock rocking all the time. This is okay. So now we're down another to great one. <laughs> we're down to number six. Um, and Noval, I meant I made mention of them about a half an hour ago, maybe a little longer. Noval is one of the most mysterious labels. I have yet to find anybody who knows anything about them. They don't seem to have put out very many records at all. And their records are very bare bones. They have a, a pre-rock sort of ethos to them with the small combo, usually a drummer, guitarist, uh, um, uh, vibraphone, and maybe a couple of other instruments, and very sleepy-sounding uh, big band sort of pre-rock 50s singers. And this is the label to which somebody wrote the lyrics, rock rocking all the time. Uh, th there is no less rocking label in the song poem world than Noval. <laughs> um, and they did what they do with all their records is that they, they made a slow grinding sort of song about it. And, and it helped that this is, this is the true car crash record on this particular list. Not only are the lyrics and the music fully uh, non-compatible, 
but the lyrics are genuinely stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I spend my time rocking. All, I spend my day rocking all the time. Don't blame me if I rock all the time. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm getting every word right. Okay, so he's just asked you not to blame him for rocking all the time. The next line is, that's how I feel, and everybody feels. <laughs> so who's blaming him if everybody feels the way he does? <laughs> and, then, and then the great chorus, oh, la, la, oh, la, la, hey, 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 or whatever it is that yeah. he said. <laughs> well, twisting, twisting merrily so. I twist, shuffle, shake, and rock. <laughs> it, seems, it seems completely obvious that whoever wrote this wanted a Chuck Berry, Bill Haley kind of song. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt about it. <laughs> Uh, the, the thing, uh, if if there wasn't enough in the first minute and 45 seconds of this, what I love is that in the last 10 seconds, there's room for a brief solo and the vibraphone wails away on a, on a perfectly decent big band style finished solo that is as out of place on this record as anything that could have been. Yeah, it adds insult to injury <laughs> because of, instead of ending with the little Chuck Berry guitar lick... They do it, but they do it just in the precisely the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. So the whole thing is just like the exact opposite of what the person who wrote it must have wanted. But, you know, they didn't care. They probably just churned this out, you know, in, in 10 minutes and then went on to the next one. Right. And they just didn't really pay any attention to it that once they had as long as they had something to send the person for their money. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, 
<laughs> let's can we skip over to the the four that I said were from the world but not quite in the world? Yeah, sure. So the next four songs that we're going to talk about are songs that have been discovered by people collecting song poems that have some at least distant connection to song poems but aren't song poems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they come from that world. Um, W.L. Horning is seems to be a very, very mysterious character. <laughs> Rockin' and Rollin' comes from a six-song EP. Um, and having heard some of his other records, it seems that his whole deal was to take existing instrumental records or instrumental portions of records right. and sing over them. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I I found one on YouTube where he was even singing over a record that had other he was singing over a record with vocals. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I haven't heard that one, but yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So, and in this case, there are there are other records of his where you can hear this same backing tracks played at the right speed, which I'm guessing is 45. In this case, he seems to have put it on 78. <laughs> it's, it's it's going a mile a minute, and it's clearly not the speed at which that record was meant to be played. And simply chanting "rockin' and rollin'" over and over again, every now and then offering up a pained "oh," like he just, you know, just had a, a pain in his back or something. <laughs> it, it's truly one of the weirdest records I've ever heard. One of, one of my friends thinks it's about the funniest thing he's ever heard. And th- this this showed up on a label which did release song poems, which is how it has that connection. Right. Uh, so, but I, I think any opportunity to share Rockin' and Rolling by W.L. Horning with, with any larger audience is, is certainly a thing worth doing. And I, I, I think I shouldn't say anything else, because I think it should be experienced. Rockin' and rolling, rockin' and rolling, rockin' and rolling tonight. Well, don't think I'm feeling me, oh, rockin' and rolling tonight. Hey now, baby, you got to feel rock and roll, rock and yeah, we're rockin' and rollin' tonight, rockin' and rollin' with all our might. Reelin' the year with all our might, we're rockin' and rollin' tonight. Rumpin' sounds the broad daylight, we're rockin' and rollin' tonight, rockin' and reelin' tonight.
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So the next one, Be American. Yeah, this is, a, this is I was referring to as somebody trying to write their a new Star Spangled Banner. Okay, so this again, this, this showed up on a label that also released song poems. This, this guy wrote and re- wrote the lyrics and music to this and um, actually published uh, sheet music and everything. I just, yeah, you're right about that. And I, the thing I like about it is that I can't quite wrap my head around what this guy's position is. Is he an isolationist? <laughs> is he just a crank? because <laughs> his position doesn't seem consistent uh, but it's so good natured it's got that ukulele in there and he sounds so happy <laughs> and he, he he sings along with the with the instrumental section by going doobie 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 or whatever it is that he does oh yeah where there should be like a guitar solo yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he just he just vocalizes the melody again. yeah <laughs> so it's, it's a fun record but if you lyric listen to the lyrics a record called Be American that takes a political stand should make it clear what that stand is. <laughs> and and I'm not sure this one does. It, it's, it seems to go in a couple of different directions. Here is a toast to our country. Oh, 
So the next song, Marianne McCarthy. <laughs> she went out to dig some clams. Okay, so I've mentioned that we're putting a hold on my top five for the song poems until I get through these four. But I would have to mention that Marianne McCarthy and the one we're going to play after it probably are favorites along the lines, if not above, the number one song poem. These are two records that I could listen to every day for the rest of my life. Again, Norris the Troubadour Collegians, vocal by Norris from sometime around 1955. This would be probably right before Norwich Mayhems, who I aforementioned with uh, Tom Dooley, right before he discovered the song poem companies. And this is him singing. Uh, He made a a whole bunch of records, mostly about college life during the 40s and 50s. This record has abysmal quality. I, I, I have very little doubt that the 45 was mastered from a 78. I have heard three copies of it, and they all have a skip about two seconds in where you miss a little bit of the music. Mm-hmm. So that's on, that's on the mastering of the 45. That's not a defect in the 45. And the, the, the quality is, is just awful. Um, I sent this to Dr. DeBento, who uh, I mentioned before and who has actually become a friend of mine. And he was commenting on the quality of it, but liked it enough that he played it despite the fact that it had about as bad quality as anything he's ever played mm-hmm. uh, in terms of sound. He thinks that Norris took a um, a Calypso record and just sang over it, which is possible. But if they did, it was his own Calypso record because the, the, the chord pattern that you'll hear at the beginning is very, very much a part of what Norris wrote. It's on almost all of his early records. The, the chord pattern that comes before the music starts, before the singing starts. It's, it's just, it's a hallmark of virtually all of his records. I love this record. It is totally pointless and as infectious as anything I've ever heard. I've actually done a live performance of this with an audience singing along. Marianne McCarthy is an old college folk song, usually sung to the melody of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, which he's not doing here. Right. <laughs> and we get to a, a certain point when he's described how she dug for some clams, when we get to a chorus, which is him saying she dug 15 times in a row. I just <laughs> love that. I, I, I can't explain this. My, my musical tastes are kind of all over the place, but this one resonates with me like maybe 20 or 30 other records that I've ever heard. This, this just makes me smile. And like I said, I could listen to it every day for the rest of my life. Oh, 
then the other one is um oh yeah okay what's she got that i ain't got yeah this uh this is another one that's so is this this isn't a song poem this is it is not i I mentioned edith hopkins when we talked about dollars for satan yeah this this was a record that came out on a legitimate label um not a very big label but a legitimate label It, it did get a mention in billboard as a also received record betty jane shows up on that label sometimes doing other records that are clearly not meant to be song poems or not meant to be considered song poems. She, she was a, a teen singer uh, that had really no success, but made somewhere short of a dozen records that I'm aware of. Simply put, this is one of my two or three favorite 45s that anyone's ever released. My, my friend Stu says there's too much echo on it. I love the fact that it's bathed in echo to the point where you can hear everything about six times. Uh, reverb, I should say. Reverb. The, the, the singer in this song is trying to convince the boy of her choice that he should choose her over somebody else while fully acknowledging that the other girl has all sorts of good points to her. But, that so, <laughs> but so does the singer. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting take on things. Yeah. No, she's, she's really good. She's cute and all that. So am I. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's got this sharp, stinging sort of uh, guitar behind her and strings going up to the top of the violin that 15 seconds may be my favorite moment anywhere on any record ever i just love it i just love this record and like i said edith hopkins moved into the song poem world but this is not a song poem uh but it 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 was discovered as part of that world Mm -hmm. and this came out in 62 this one i know came out in 62 Mm -hmm. because it actually got a mention in billboard yeah, it kind of seems ahead of its time a little bit in the... Well, I mean, my impression was like this could have been a Blondie song, you know? I think it's sexy as hell, both from the, the lyrical come on and her performance. Oh, 
Okay, so we've made it to the top five. <laughs> and uh, and number five is an insane song. <laughs> Doc Nut. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably the funniest song poem ever. This, this, this is really clever and well put together. And Lee Hudson's group, again, with Kara Stewart singing and Jeff Lawrence as the doctor. Um <laughs> This is this is a really really funny record. Yeah, it tells a good story and it has a punchline, and it's it's fun to listen to. It's got that funny sound to it without bashing you over the head with it. It it, it took me a few times to make out all the lyrics, but she really is telling a full story here about interacting with an insane doctor. So yeah, again this and this is Kara Stewart, who I just love with Lee Hudson. Uh, it sounds a lot a lot different than most of his productions. So they went out of their way to make to make this record fit what they were sent because this is not a typical production for that production house. So that that's a tribute to them and also to the fact that they took it seriously enough because the person wrote a really funny song. This is one where you can be pretty sure that everybody involved was in on the joke. I told the nut doctor I felt like a witch And I showed him the scars of my seven years itch He said, you're plain psycho So hop into bed, get plenty of sleep and rest the old head But what of these scabs from my toe to my thigh They are not on my mind but my legs, so say I They're not there at all, it is only your notion Cure for such thinking is calamine lotion. So I took the pink bottle and dabbed all the spots on my ankles and calves and my knees. There were lots. Then I said to myself, this will surely appease. But the itch did not stop and I started to sneeze. Achoo! Achoo! Along about sick call the very next morning, I lifted my nighty for Doc without warning. He sneered an odd sneer and his ears seemed to jerk. You've applied the stuff wrong, of course it won't work. Doc Nut grabbed the bottle. His eyes had a gleam, his mouth started foaming, his nostrils showed steam. This way, my patience. He really said, then he smashed the whole bottle all over his head. All over his head. Okay, the next one uh, really entertained my daughter. <laughs> she thought the <laughs> Watusi Wingding was hilarious. Yeah, she's 13. <laughs> okay, so... Again, I mentioned that I heard this song, How Long Are You Staying? And I sent in eventually for the CD called Makers of Smooth Music. And I got about halfway through it and got to the 13th or 14th track. And this came on. And I can still remember exactly where I was driving home from work. I, I know I know the stoplight that I was at when I heard this. Because when it was over, <laughs> I said, what in God's name was that? What kind of band makes a sound like that? That drum, you know, that, that sounds like the drummer was in another room. <laughs> and I immediately played it again, and I, I probably, I think it was in the fall of, of 96 or 97, and I um, no doubt played that, played that song more the rest of that year than anything else I listened to. Um, and it's probably, the, it's probably the song poem I've listened to the most overall because of that. 
Uh, it was easily my, my first favorite song poem. What's happening here is that Rod Keith has the Chamberlain and he's got that go-go beat going, which turned around after every five measures. So not only are you having a turnaround in the middle of a phrase, um, but at some point, about a third of the way through, the remainder of the Chamberlain that's playing the backing track gets disengaged from even being on one, being on the beat with the Chamberlain. <laughs> and um, Rod Keith offers a, a, a sort of feeble solo for a moment, uh, which is like seven bars long, which is not typical in a, in a, in a song. It, it just, the, the, the whole thing sounds like it came out of, I, I don't even know. It just, it doesn't sound like something that would, that, that reasonable people would create. <laughs> and what, and what is a Watusi wingding girl and what's a disco tea? <laughs> yeah, this is an example of all the elements of the song poem dynamic <laughs> crashing together mm -hmm. and turning into something insane. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, again, I just love this record. It, it's, it's, and I remade this one too, trying to correct all the little errors. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, then what's the next one? It's um, number three. I'm having my first heartbreak. Yes, uh, I think any given day these next three could could switch in some sort of order. These are definitely my three favorites. Mm -hmm. um, that first time I went down to Beverly Records, which is the store near where I work that I mentioned. Uh, this is a record I picked up that day. This is just a straightforward pop song. Um, this is on the cinema label. Everything on the cinema label was identified as being by the real pros. <laughs> Everything. 
Right. About this is this is definitely from '72. This is another one where I know what year it's from because it's labeled right out right on the record label. The, the Tin Pan Alley. I'm sorry, the Cinema Records say the year they were produced. Um, prior to late 1973, Cinema employed a guy who was a one man band with one of those chintzy organs that everybody had in their homes in the early seventies that had the, had the little accompaniments and you could play different tones on them. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they were, they were all over the place mm-hmm. in the early seventies. Mm-hmm. And he would sing the songs himself. I don't know who this guy is. Um, sometime in, in 1973, they switched over to using the preview slash MSR crew. And from that point <laughs> forward, uh, Rod Keith and, um, all Dick, Dick Kent, who's another singer, and all, all of those turn up as the real pros on on cinema records going forward until they until the label disappeared sometime in the early '80s. I'm not a huge fan, as I mentioned, of the MSR sound, and the cinema records are indistinguishable from the MSR sound. But I love the records this guy made when he was doing his one man band thing. Um, I, I will acknowledge, and I didn't think of this at the time that this probably sounds like something I would have recorded. I write and record my own music. I've been writing songs since I was 16. When my daughters heard this song, they thought it was me. (gasps) I just think this is a a straight ahead, really, really great song. I'm a sucker for those early 70s chintzy beats to the the point where not not being a rap fan, I get a kick out of some of these records that Drake makes because he samples stuff from the early 70s. And it's got these beats from that era that I just always enjoyed. So that's that's where I'm coming from there. This has that sort of um, that 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 sort of feel to it because of those keyboards. There's an interesting somewhere on the American Song Poem website. There is an interesting email or letter that Phil got at some point from the writer of I'm Having My First Heartbreak, in which he said that when he wrote the song and sent away for it to be recorded, he got a demo. And that's all he ever got. And that the version I shared with Phil and Phil posted to the site that the songwriter had never heard this version before that moment. So really? I thought that was pretty weird. Yeah that, that, yeah, that 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 a full version came out and he never heard it. So I'm not sure why they did it if they didn't send it to him. But I thought that was really interesting. What did you think of this one? Yeah, this is a good song. And I agree that the uh, the instrumentation, you said the one-man band thing, it's, um, it's really different, but it works. It really works. And so... It's a very it's a very cool thing. I like it. I'm living in a world of broken pieces. Time that has no future or no past. Cause in this world I have your love to live for My dreams have brought me back to you at last I'm having my first heartbreak here tonight Knowing I was wrong won't make things right I'm having my first heartbreak here tonight Knowing I was wrong won't make things right Not long ago we both grew up together We never thought we'd go our separate ways But when you left I thought I could forget you I never thought that it would end this way I'm having my first heartbreak here tonight Knowing I was wrong won't make things right Yes, 
Yes, I'm having my first heartbreak here tonight. Knowing I was wrong won't make things right. together mm, we never thought we'd go our separate ways but when you left i thought i could forget you i never thought that it would end this way i'm having my first heartbreak here tonight knowing i was wrong won't make things right yes i'm having my first heartbreak here tonight knowing i was wrong won't make things right I'm having my first heartbreak here tonight Knowing I was wrong would make things right I'm having my first heartbreak here tonight Knowing I was wrong would make things right Okay, so <laughs> your number two, the Beatle Boys, back to yeah, Rod Keith. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Rod Rogers slash Rod Keith. I yeah. think this is absolute genius. <laughs> uh, this this probably came out in 65 or 66. <laughs> and is the plaintive tale of a man who wants to date his girlfriend, but all she wants to do is watch the Beatles hang out on their balcony when they're in town for a show and then go to the show. And he has nothing to do, even though he he got a car and he he dressed up. And she wants nothing to do with them. He, she just wants to watch them play their, quote, mandolins. Yeah. <laughs> watch them sing with shaking heads. <laughs> yeah, watch them sing with shaking heads. Um, and then not only that, but there's a fantastic punchline at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's – this is – you know, I don't know if this is completely fiction, if the guy was just riffing off the popularity of the Beatles or if this was somebody's personal – difficulty with the fact that his girlfriend was no longer interested because the Beatles were so cool. <laughs> but the lyrics really send it that this is, this is how some, this is how some guys I'm, have no doubt felt around that point. That, yeah. That, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, would, that's something I, I never really thought about, but yeah, the big jealous of the Beatles or, and how, and how, yeah, I guess uh, a lot of those girls that were screaming had a boyfriend, <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Or used to. <laughs> Balconies to watch them sing. 
Okay, so we've made it to your number one. Right. Okay. So this is, again, we've come back to Norm Burns. You hinted that before. Lou Tobin was the head of the Sterling label and often attached his name to other people's lyrics as the co-writer. I don't remember if he does that in this one or not. This is called Darling, Don't Put Your Hand on Me. (laughs) Um, I thought for many years that it was Don't Put Your Hands on Me, but it's actually Don't Put Your Hand on Me. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to find vinyl copies of most of my favorite song poem records. Almost everything in that top 10 that we just did, with the exception of uh, I'm a Ginseng Digger, I, I have in my collection, and this one. I, I would spend a lot of money for a copy of this one. I would love to have this record. This is, as you say, probably a woman. I would have to look at the record to see whether it shows the person's first name. Yeah, it's, it's got to be from a a female perspective. Yeah. It's got to be. Who is griping about some some way in which she's been done wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he's cheated on her or or what. You went out with this one and that one. When did that happen? It's hard to hard to say what what she's referring to. Don't but it keeps coming back with don't put your hands on me. And again, I love early 60s rock and roll. This has this driving sort of early 60s beat and and a shimmering guitar that keeps playing through there and this these high piano chords. It's just it's a mix. The arrangement of this record, I think, is it's just stellar, just just perfect. And then you've got that voice of Norm, Norm Burns with all that reverb on it, selling it like like it happened to him. Darling, please don't put your hands on me, for which I will cry. Darling, I tried to help you, but please, darling, don't put your hands on me. I cried for you, don't put your hands on me You were so sweet the night we met, but don't put your hands on me You went out with this one and that one, don't put your hands on me Put your hands on me. Don't put your hands on me. 
Okay, uh, Darling, Don't Put Your Hand on Me was written by John O'Connor. Oh, it was written by a man. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, well, I guess if, well, like like you said, so they're trying to sell these people on a dream that they can write a hit song. So it even makes sense for a man to write a song from a woman's point of view if they're just trying to write a song to be a, sure. on the radio or to be a hit, if that's what they're sure. actually trying to do. You know, Smokey so. Robinson wrote My, my Guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So and I've been thinking back to it. I don't believe I've ever seen a single Sterling record. No, I have. I have. I take it back. But they only had minimal releases with female singers. Well, so like you have Rock Rockin' All the Time and Doc Nut and Beetle Boys. You have those on vinyl. You have- yes, I, I found Rock Rockin' All the Time for a dollar. Wow. And the other side of it is actually the one that most song poem people prefer. It's called the Twenty Third Channel, which is a rewrite of the Twenty Third Psalm. Uh, and a screed against television. <laughs> so, like, how many copies of something like that would even exist? That's a really good question. It partially would depend on the label, and it would also depend on how many the song poet ordered. There was a guy selling what a friend of mine called a boatload of preview releases about 10 years ago on eBay, and he had come across boxes and boxes of different records where there's probably more than 20 copies of each record available uh-huh. um certainly I, my guess would be that most song poems exist in fewer than 100 or 200 copies i'm sure there are others that only exist in in 15 or 20 right preview records seem to have higher numbers they they certainly show up the most tin pan alley seems to have a considerable i'm trying to I'm trying to think of of labels where i see the same the same record sold more than once like two different sellers both have a copy and that's an indication to me that it's, it can't be all that rare. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, preview is definitely one of those. MSR is one of them. These are the larger labels. Tin pan alley is another one. So um, it's, it sounds like uh, when you go into collecting these, what you're looking for is the labels. Huh? That's really what you're looking for. I actually arrange my records by labels and yeah. label. Numbers. Don't arrange them by artist. Um, I, I do for everything else alphabetically, but for, for, um, for song poems, I definitely arrange them by label because that's that's the consistent, that's the constant between you know, it, I, I know what a Tin Pan Alley record from the mid '60s sounds like. Mm-hmm. But then it's also been a lot of finding something in a record store that looks like it might be a song poem and taking it home and then trying to figure out if it is, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I do lots of searches on eBay and the word song poem comes up. Not a lot, but it comes up enough. And often people will post something with the same songwriter as the performer and call it a song poem. And, and just by definition, that's not. Right. Yeah. Uh, or it's something that sounds like a song poem, you know, something bad enough to be a song poem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's been a while since I found an actual new label that I wasn't already aware of that... Uh, the possible exception maybe being a Cara Stewart record because she shows up on so many different tiny labels, mm-hmm. but that way her boss did business. Um, I, I have the impression that Lee Hudson's company and also a company called Globe, which was in Florida, which is not represented on my list, I get the impression that they both had as part of their deal to say, we'll set up your own label, what you want it to be called, or at some level. Mm-hmm. So, so that if you wrote two songs, then they were on both sides of your record and it came out on, on a, le- a label 
that was cre- you know that that was your creation. It might be the only record that ever came out on that label. Right. Um, Globe did not have its own releases, as far as I know. They put out. There are acetates that that, that float around, which are the demo records that some of these companies would send out first to say, here's what we're going to do. You know, do you want a full record of this? Um, mm-hmm. the, the guy, the guy who wrote, I'm having my first heartbreak probably got a demo, but why he didn't get the actual record and they bothered to make the record. I don't know. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's slowed way down. I also don't have as much discretionary money as I once did. Right. It, it's, it's getting to be a bit of a challenge to find stuff that's worth sharing on my site because I've, I've done a lot of the heavy hitters and I'm not collecting as many new to me records as I, as I once did. Um, but stuff keeps coming. I mean, my posts are called song poem of the week. And for a long time, it's really been song poem for the next 10 days. <laughs> yeah. I about three a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm also repairing the site that this, the site that housed all of my files went out of business without any recourse uh i think in 2016 or 2015 Mm, so every month when i write a new post i also repair one previous month's post and i'm I'm in the spring of 2014 now going backwards i think i started the site in 2010 so i have another 40 or 50 months to go and that takes a while too so yeah that's so frustrating there was a but maybe about 10 years ago there was a golden age of blogs where you could find almost any obscure insane music you could possibly think of but so many of the sites that used to that people used to upload those files have all disappeared and so now there's so many dead links out there yeah yeah it's sad now i'm using using open drive which seems to be very common and seems to be fairly robust Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. unlike to collapse anytime soon yeah um i put in a couple of plugs here if you don't mind my website yeah is that okay yeah, for uh, sure. Website is bobpurse.blogspot.com. I have a second. We haven't touched on this at all, but I am a huge collector of reel-to-reel tapes, and my particular passion is recording recordings from particularly pre-1970 of home recordings, media recordings, un- unclassifiable recordings, uh, radio radio made tapes, radio tapes made off the radio, tapes made off of TV um audio letters all that sort of stuff and twice a month i share them on a blog called inches dash per dash second dot blogspot.com well uh, if if you're interested i would love to do another episode with you of that kind of stuff if you sure. would want to i would love it sure if you would want to do the same kind of thing where you pick you know 20 25 of your favorite things to share and if you'd I, I be willing to do that, I'd love yeah, to do that. I'll give, it, I'll, give it, I'll give it some thought. Okay. I will. I, on a final note, if you look for my name and the phrase "a few more plans," you'll find a album of humorous songs that I put together over the last 19 years that I posted to Bandcamp. Okay. So. So Bob Purse on Bandcamp, and yep. that should turn up. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So hard to find Things I 
Thank you so much, Bob, for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time to pick the songs and all the information you've shared has been great. Um, I'm really glad we did this and I really appreciate, you know, you putting the effort in. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 